Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Travelling Image Makers podcast with Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. With past guests of the podcast, we discussed ways to avoid cliches and the challenges travel photographers have to face in order to come home with images that are novel and interesting. The guest of this week, John R. Milton, has taken the idea of straying off the beaten path to the limit and adopted a style and an attitude that he indicates with the acronym SCREW. And you will have to listen to the podcast to find out what that means. A former investment banker, he has recently taken up traveling to far-flung places like Taliban-infested Afghanistan, Somalia and the jungles of Nagaland amidst armed insurgents and the last surviving tribe of headhunters. It was great fun to listen to John tell his adventurous stories and I have to admit a bit unsettling as well, for when he says unapologetic, he really means it. We hope you will get something out of our conversation with John, no matter what your preference is with regard to travel and photography are. And you will be able to find links and show notes about this episode at ttim.photo forward slash 54. And now enjoy our conversation with John R. Milton. All right, so I'm here today uh, sitting in my home office and I'm talking to two great people from across the world. We have here John Milton, who is calling us from Budapest, if I'm right. Hi, John. Hi. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And we also have uh, Ralph Velasco, our usual co-host, who is currently in uh, in India, in Pushkar, if I'm not mistaken. I hope, Ralph, uh, you can uh, stay online. You have some problems with bandwidth at the hotel you're staying, but I'm um, Hoping it will all be good. How is doing? Uh, how are you doing, Ralph? I'm doing great. I'm I'm glad to be here. I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and I hope that my bandwidth holds out. <laughs> and how's India? Oh, it's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, this is my second time here. I was here about five years ago, but uh, I, I'm going to new places. I've not been to Pushkar, so I'm really looking forward to exploring more of this fantastic country. Okay, so maybe when uh, you have a better connectivity, we will record uh, an episode with you and we'll talk all about India and your recent travels. Yeah, Ralph, you're going to love, if you go up to Varanasi, you're going to absolutely love Varanasi. You'll get some amazing shots there. I, I've heard. I can't wait to get up there. Fantastic. Okay, but our guest today is mostly uh, going to be John, John Milton, who I got to know through, uh, got to know through uh, an interview that you did for uh, Eric Kim's blog when you were uh, talking all about your adventurous and off-the-beaten-path style of travel photography. So before we start, would you, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? What's yeah, the, sure. the story of your life? How did you get started in travel photography? Well, currently, I'll start with what I'm doing currently. Currently, uh, I'm living in Budapest, Hungary, as you mentioned, and I'm a 46-year-old retired investment banker. Uh, I started uh, 
I would say, my traveling career when I was a young boy living in uh, in Puerto Rico. I lived in Puerto Rico with my family for 10 years, and uh, my father was a senior executive for a large textile firm, and we were always traveling around the world, and I think that's how I really started falling in love with travel. Um, after I left Puerto Rico, then I moved to the mountains of North Carolina. I became a good old country boy, and then uh, somehow I mysteriously ended up in Budapest as an investment banker, and uh, I've been here now for about, I'm not even sure, but let's say 22, 23 years, and uh, I absolutely love it. I mean, Budapest is one of the most beautiful places on earth, and uh, I really started my off-the-beaten-path tra uh, travel about, I would say, four years ago. Uh, I, I have a lot of people around me, and I guess anyone does that who works in investment banking, who make a lot of money and are quite successful. But I, I just saw that they really weren't enjoying their lives that much. Uh, they had all this money, and they weren't really doing much with it. And I said, I don't want to turn into one of those guys. So I said, there must be more to life than just making money and uh, you know traveling to the usual places and buying fancy cars and uh, houses, what have you. And then I decided, yeah, I'm going to try to make my life a little different. So I started uh, getting into this uh, rebel travel style and started going to off-the-beaten-path destinations. And uh, that's how I really started getting into photography as well because I knew that I was seeing stuff that 99% of the people on earth would never have the opportunity to experience. And uh, I absolutely, you know, fell in love with it. You know, when I first started traveling, actually, I was doing the right side of the spectrum, spectrum, going to the super high-end posh resorts around the world, going to the Amman resorts. Uh, and then I started, you know, dipping my toes into this rough uh, travel on the left side of the spectrum. And I realized I like that much more. You know, I get something out of it. I learn from it. Uh, you know, going to a Ritz-Carlton in, uh, in the Maldives or in Bali is nice, but what are you really going get to get out of that? So now I'm kind of dedicating uh, my free time to, uh, you know, exploring the unexplored. And I absolutely love it. And I think you have a, being retired, you have a lot of free time. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I still, you know, I, I still have a lot of stuff that I'm, I'm doing. Uh -huh. I'm still quite active. A lot of investments. Uh, but I would say that most of my time I'm dedicating to uh, to travel Good. and finding new uh, new uh, new places to experience. John, yeah, I spent some time on your Instagram feed, and uh, how would you describe your photographic style? It's it's interesting because a lot of people have asked me that, and uh, so I kind of came up with uh, I coined an acronym, and I like to call it Screw as an S-C-R-U. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, people get a kick out of that. And what SCREW stands for is it's, <laughs> it's simple, candid, raw, and unapologetic. And uh, I'll go through each one. I mean, the simple comes from the fact that I have no gear. I go with one camera, one lens, one backpack. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, traveling with tons of gear is a pain in the butt, and I think it really takes away from the experience. You know, it can be quite intimidating to rock onto some tribal warriors when you're you're carrying 50 kilograms of equipment. Uh, you know, I have a, a fixed 35 millimeter, and uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, "How on earth can you travel and take photos with just that fixed 35?" And you know. I think when you have a fixed lens, it, it, it forces you to become much more creative. 
you know, I call a zoom lens like a lazy man's lens. You know, anybody can be brave with a, with a zoom lens. But when you have a 35, you know, you have to really get up into someone's face if you want to get some, you know, some interesting uh, photos. So that's where simple comes from. And then the C is uh, candid. And I say that because I think the bulk of my shots are actually, um, yeah, almost all my shots are real. You know, there's really no setup, no staging. Uh, and I guess probably because the fact that the places I'm going to, there's no need to stage anything, you know, because everything is so rough and tough anyway. And I mean, every, every second, you know, creates a new opportunity, uh, kind of like a wow moment. Uh, I think the raw, that's the R, uh, the raw, I mean, raw speaks for itself. Um, I go to some really rough places, you know, rough and raw. Uh, I think I really try to peel back the cover on unexplored areas of the world to show people what's really out there. Uh, you know, Paris is cool. New York is cool. But the headhunters of Naga land, uh, I think, are a bit cooler. Um, so that's where the raw comes from. Uh, and then uh, we have, what do we have left? Oh, we have the U. Uh, that's unapolog- uh, unapologetic. You know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the times you've seen my photos, I'm really getting into people's faces and putting myself into some pretty precarious uh, situations. You know, I, I always say that I like to pick up scars along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not sure who, who, who said that. There was a famous quote that, that I just don't want to die without any scars. And I think that's kind of the way I'm really my, uh, living my life. You know, I really like to get up close and personal and take the shots that uh, most people are too afraid to take just because they're outside of their comfort zones. And uh, I think that's, that's really, really important uh, in photography is, you know, kind of uh, overcome your fears. Because if not, you're going to be taking the same photos that, uh, you know, everybody else is taking. Cool. And uh, speaking of scars and uh, scary places, when I contacted you, To set up this uh, interview, you told me you were on a trip or you were just going to embark on a trip to Nagaland, where you were going to photograph the last surviving hunters on Earth. And honestly, I had no idea where Nagaland is. I had to look it up. So can you tell us a bit about it and what's so special about uh, Nagaland? Nagaland is basically, they call it no man's land. It's, uh, It's in the northeastern territory of uh india if you pull it up on a map it's really quite interesting because it's way up there on the right you know it dips into like it borders burma bhutan bangladesh uh so it's a really interesting place on the map and again it's no they call it like no man's land because it's a, like a jungle region between burma and india pretty rough place um and that place was uh you know full of headhunters you know, many decades ago, and uh, now there's just not many left because of all of the uh, Christian missionaries, which are in that area, and they're trying to get these headhunters to convert. So there's not many left, uh, and these guys now are in their you know 70s, 80s. Uh, the last time they were doing any sort of headhunting was about uh, a decade or so ago, uh, so they're not actively doing it now. And, uh, yeah, it's an interesting place. It's, it's full of insurgents. So getting into the area, it's, it's pretty difficult. It's a restricted area. Um, you know, we, when I landed, uh, you know, I had uh, my fixer and my driver come pick me up. And we started upon our journey into the jungle. There's, the, the roads are just horrendous. You know, no paved roads or very few paved roads. And... Uh, you know, it just takes hours and hours and hours to go, you know, a few kilometers. 
And uh, I remember the police, the first night uh, I arrived late at night, we were, we were going into the jungle and the police kept stopping us. And I had to get out of the car and they kept asking, are you sure you want to go here? Why do you want to go in there? Uh, and so I was asking the fixer, why do they keep asking this? Is it because of the headhunters? And he said, no, not really, not because of the headhunters, but because of the insurgents. And there are just insurgents all along that area, uh, you know, coming in from Burma, from India as well. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to gain their independence. So sometimes they're, you know, killing government officials, kidnapping people, uh, bombing uh, public places. So it was kind of nerve-wracking. Uh, yeah, it kind of put me on edge. And I was thinking, God, I feel like maybe I'm in Afghanistan again. I have to worry about, you know, maybe getting kidnapped or getting shot at. But uh, it all worked out. It was a very interesting place. Um, we actually met uh, several insurgents that helped us find our way to the headhunters. And it's interesting because everybody in that area has a shotgun. So, you know, every time you rock up upon an a, a, a insurgent, he's got a shotgun on his back. I met a man with his wife. They're walking on the side of the road. They both had shotguns. Uh, you see the headhunters. They all have their shotguns. So they just love their shotguns. And, uh, yeah, very interesting place. Very interesting. I would definitely recommend it uh, to anybody simply because in about 10, 15 years from now, I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, these guys are going to be dead and the culture will be completely different, especially with all the Christian missionaries around there. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 15 years from now you see people walking around with selfie sticks, which, by the way, I absolutely hate. I want to break a selfie stick every time I see one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's it on Nagaland. How do you get in touch with those people without getting your head chopped off? <laughs> How do you gain their trust? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it definitely sounds more dangerous than it is regarding the headhunters because, like I said, they're not really, they're not doing it anymore. Um, I think that the, the most dangerous part was the insurgents, actually. But the way I set up this whole trip is there's a, there's a team in London that I work with, and uh, Uh, they helped me. Actually, there's two teams and uh, two companies, and they helped me with some of my travel. And they'll they'll set this stuff up, and uh, they do the proper due diligence. They've been there before. They've taken people there before, and uh, that's how it's all arranged. And then you know it's interesting. Once it's called all kind of ad lib. Once you arrive, and uh, for example, when I arrived this time in Nagaland. I wanted to see, I mean, one of the main reasons I was going was to see the heads of the enemies that they chopped off. I wanted to see them, you know, the skulls. And they said, listen, it's very difficult now because, once again, the Christian missionaries, they spoke to all the headhunters and they agreed that they would bury all of the heads, give them a proper burial. And uh, I said, but no, I came all the way over here. I want to see what can we do. You know, can we bribe the people? Uh, no, you can't bribe them because, you know, they don't really care that much about money, uh, living in the jungle, obviously. So there was really one option, opium. Bribe them with opium. So you buy them opium, uh, and that was arranged through uh, the fixer and through the insurgents. And then we had to go sit down with the king of the tribe. They call him the king. So the king and his son, we sat down, everybody smoking, smoking opium. And uh, you just kind of discussed the situation, and we basically just begged them to see the skulls because – The, my fixer had been told that they, they kept them in a special place deep in the jungle. And so once they were, they were high on opium, then they agreed to take us into the jungle, show us the skulls, which was, it was quite interesting, to say the least. Amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> John, how long did you spend there? I was there for three nights. That's another interesting thing about the way I travel. I will usually only go three to five days. 
if I have to, uh, I'll stay seven days, but I don't like to go for that long for security purposes. And uh, also once I had read uh, from a psychologist, it was very interesting. He came out and he said that uh, he made a study and he said that most people take vacations of 10 to 14 days. And he said, that's actually the wrong way to take a vacation because it's too long and uh, you end up getting bored. And when your brain recalls your vacation, you remember the last three days when you're sitting on the beach, bored, ready to go home. But if you go for three to five days, you leave at the climax and you'll always, your brain will always rec- recall the feeling, you know, when you were leaving, you're at the climax. So, you know, it's, it, it, it was, it, it's a great memory as opposed to your 14th day, 14th day on the beach uh, in Bali, you're kind of bored. Uh, so yeah, so that's why I started doing uh, three to five days. Usually, it, the rougher places were it's it's tough to get around, like Afghanistan. I did a week, uh, but yeah. So in Nagaland, I was I was there. I think for three nights, four days. Was that uh, would, would you classify that as the most dangerous situation you you found yourself in, or there were other? Absolutely not. No, I've had much. That was nothing. I was I was thrown into jail in Somalia. Uh, my friend and I, once we arrived at the airport in Mogadishu, uh, they took us and put us in jail. That was probably the most scary, uh, the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. I was basically praying to God <laughs> to let us uh, get out of that, that place as quickly as possible. So we were in jail for about four hours. Um, I had a few roadblocks in, in the mountain in the tribal areas of Afghanistan where I thought maybe they could be Taliban. Uh, but it was just Afghan intelligence in plain clothes and AK-47. I was thinking maybe it might have been the Taliban. Uh, also in Kabul, about uh, I think it was a month and a half ago, two months ago, I uh, kind of got lost in the bird market. The bird market is notoriously known for uh, as a ta- Taliban hangout. So I kind of lost my fixer for about, I don't know, two minutes. When I had, you know, hundreds of people around me who looked like, uh, you know, insurgents or militants or Al-Qaeda or Taliban, I was scared to death. And then finally my, uh, my fixer. I was looking down at my camera and walking and I wasn't following my fixer. So we lost each other and then finally he found me and I was, I was scared to death. I was, I was kind of panicking at the moment because I was, I was dressed undercover as well. And people kind of were looking at me strange because I have blonde hair, but I was trying to cover my hair. Uh, and I had the headgear on, and I had the local dress on, but still, I thought, Jesus, if uh, you know, I get discovered, it could be a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I've had some scary situations for sure. Do you have any advice for our listeners on how to stay safe in those kind of environments? <laughs> Absolutely. General, I think, general advice. I mean, if it's yeah, possible general to advice give general keep advice. your keep your selfie stick at home. <laughs> Uh, you don't, you don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. I always do a little bit of research before I go. I'll try to dress, uh, you know, locally or try not to dress like a typical American, uh, you know, wearing the Hawaiian shirts and, uh, and Bermuda shorts. So, you know, I always make sure you don't stand out. And, but I think probably the most important is you have to do proper due diligence before you go to these places, you know, make sure you're going with somebody that has the experience and the knowledge of the area. You know, you can't just buy a ticket to Islamabad, Pakistan, and expect to arrive and then uh, call an Uber and then go stay in an Airbnb. Uh, you know, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, so, you, you know, you absolutely have to do uh, proper due diligence and make sure you're going with the right people. And, uh, you know, like I said, don't, don't really – try not to stick out. You know, if you're walking around again with 50 kilos worth of camera gear, you stick out. But, uh, you know, if you've just got one small camera – 
You've got, uh, you know, you're kind of dressing like the locals, not wearing pink shirts with purple pants. Then, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, do again, due diligence. I can't say that enough. That's that's definitely the most uh, the most important. John, other than uh, you know, guides and fixers, are you traveling alone? You had mentioned something about traveling with your girlfriend at times. Yes, it's uh, my girlfriend will come with me some of the times. Usually when it's like the really, really uh, dangerous places, Afghanistan, obviously she didn't come. Somalia, she didn't come. Uh, but I did uh, take her to Pakistan with me recently only because I'd been there before. I was there last year in Lahore and I realized that uh, this place is just getting a bad rap. And I thought, okay, it's safe to take her. So we went to Pakistan and uh, actually it was quite interesting because she's uh, she used to be an international model. And so I took her with me. I don't uh, you can only see the photos on my Facebook account, but on I didn't put them up on Instagram, but she was in high heeled shoes and like a prom dress in the tribal areas of Pakistan. And we were taking photos. We were on the most dangerous bridge in the world is a swinging bridge called Hussein Bridge high up in the mountains uh, where Osama bin Laden grew up. And just we, I took some amazing photos up there. And I, I always try to I like to take uh, kind of provocative photos, you know, outside the box stuff. Uh, so I thought, I mean, who the hell goes to the tribal areas of Pakistan wearing a prom dress and high heel shoes? You know, and, you know, because all the women are covered up. <laughs> she was covered up as well until I said, OK, now take your stuff off and let's take these photos. So, uh, yeah, but a lot of the times I'll go by myself. I'll go with mates. Uh, I'll take my girlfriend. Uh, to be honest, if I had to choose, it's going to sound very strange probably to most people, but I love going alone. I absolutely love going alone because it really forces you to submerge yourself into the culture. It forces you to speak to people, uh, you know, get to know the people, get to know the culture. You know, when you're with your buddy or when you're with your girlfriend, then, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, speaking to each other nonstop instead of kind of focusing on the, the other stuff around you. Uh, but either way, I love going with friends and I, I love going with my girlfriend because I think she's just as, uh, as crazy as I am. Who are you taking those photos for? I mean, uh, you, I know you have an Instagram account. That, that's basically all I know about your online presence. But do you have other outlets? Do you use those pictures for any other purpose than it is? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, I do all of this. It's all very innocent. I do it all for myself. Um, and I've started having quite a few people contact me. And people are asking me to... Uh, maybe come out with a book uh, to print the photographs and sell them. Uh, but my problem with that is at the moment is, you know, as I said right now, it's all so innocent and pure. Once you start doing something for financial gain, then things change. And right now it's just so much fun. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't, I don't really want it to become to, like a chore or a job. You know, I might end up doing something I haven't decided yet, but at the moment it just, I'm just having so much fun doing, uh, doing it all purely for myself. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. So you can find me. I mean, you can, I, I'm on Instagram, as you said, I call myself, uh, 30 raw as in three zero dot R a W. And everybody asks me why 30 raw I've got, uh, I've got, uh, I, I, I promised myself that each trip I go on, I've got a personal rule where I only keep 30 photos. How many times have you had a friend go to New York or Paris, and they come back with 300 photos, and you're looking at them, and you're bored to death. You know, 30 photos 
people can handle that. You don't get bored of 30 photos. So what I'm doing, you know, I, I, I'm shooting photos left and right while I'm there. But then every night when I go back to my hut or my tent or my cave or wherever I am, I just start deleting, 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 deleting. And I make sure I only have 30 photos every trip. So, uh, yeah, I think that makes it a little more interesting. You know, so I make sure that the photos that John. I do have are interesting photos. Let's go ahead, Ralph. John, so you're actually deleting every photo except for 30 from the whole trip? Yes. What I'll do is I have my I have my SD card, and I'll keep everything there, and I'll just throw it into a safe. But for me, for downloading onto my computer or onto my iPhone, I only have 30. So in all my for my for example my Afghanistan album my Pakistan or Somalia or Papua New Guinea you'll only see maximum thirty sometimes I only have eighteen for example I went recently to Kamchatka Russia they call it the land of volcanoes and I rented uh, an old Mi8 helicopter and went kind of volcano hunting and it sounds kind of crazy but it was such a boring trip and it was so poorly planned that I just wasn't getting any photos. And at the end, actually, I was wrong. I think I only had maybe, I kept, I think, six photos from the trip. You know, I, I, I set a very high standard for myself. So if it's not really like a wow photo, then I just, I just delete it. So Interesting. Are there any places in the so-called developed world where you would think you would be able to find the same kind of uh, uh, stimuli or inspiration that you get in... Uh, in uh, Afghanistan or Nagaland? I mean, would you consider going shooting gangs in an inner city or something like that? It's, 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 funny. it's funny you said that because uh, I think Ralph is from Chicago. And I think uh, I was funny. I was thinking that I definitely I would love to go shoot the streets of Chicago, but like the rough parts of Chicago. It's probably more dangerous there than it is in, in Kabul. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I've got planned, for example, in March, I'm going to Hong Kong. And I'm going. I decided while I'm there, I'm going to sh uh, go shoot the caged living apartments. You know, they've got all the all the people living in the cages. Uh, you know, there's a huge housing problem there. So uh, I met another photographer who's living there, and uh, he said he's going to arrange it. And we're both going to go, and we're going to go shoot that. I think that would be quite interesting. Um, it also depends on what you consider the develop developed world. I mean, for example, Colombia is is quite developed, and I've I've I'm trying to work on something at the moment where I could go deep into the jungle and get access to the cocaine labs and uh, see if I could uh, shoot these guys living out there. It's going to be quite difficult. I don't even know if it's possible to do, but I've got somebody working on it. Um, but uh, like you know, the normal destinations, usually like New York, Paris, uh, you know, Los Angeles, I'll usually just keep my camera at home. I won't even bring it and I'll just indulge myself in sin, <laughs> you know, enjoy the shopping and uh, the, the, the whining and the dining. And uh, that's it. And I'll, I'll usually leave my camera at home. Yeah. Uh, John, of the countries that you've visited, is there any that are closest to your heart and that you'd really like to go back to tomorrow if you could? Pakistan, Pakistan, Pakistan. Absolutely right. love it. I mean, that place has so much to offer. And I'm actually, I'm going to be going back next year because I want to uh, go to uh, K2, the mountain, and Concordia. And uh, the only problem with that is it's very difficult to get there. It usually takes uh, 10 to 12 days trekking. And as you know, as I mentioned, I usually don't go, I don't go for that long. So it looks like I'm going to have to, uh, you can rent a military helicopter 
and the military will escort you there, and I can do the trip in maybe five days. Um, quite expensive, very expensive, obviously because of the helicopters, but uh, I think the reward uh, is just, I mean, once you get there, it's just, it's such a gorgeous place. And Pakistan, the people are so nice. And, you know, the country gets such a bad rap. Of course, there's some dangerous places, but from what I've experienced so far, I've been there twice. It's just an absolutely amazing country. The, the people, the food, the culture. Uh, yeah, I just can't say enough good things about Pakistan. John, tell me, tell, tell me how difficult it is to get into Pakistan. Are you going through this company in London that's making all these special um, arrangements? Yes, they, they yeah they, they they took me, but all I had to do was it's it's not difficult at all actually. You just have to go uh, to the embassy obviously and get the get get your visa. Uh, it was quite funny when I had to get my visa here in Budapest. The ambassador said he wanted to interview me because it was quite strange for him that an American living in Budapest was getting a visa to go to Pakistan. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard this story a couple of years ago where they had the undercover CIA agent on the streets of, of Lahore, and uh, he was quite paranoid when he was driving his, his Land Cruiser. He saw some motorcycles next to him, so he got out and just shot them dead. And, uh, you know, he was afraid that they were, you know, contract uh, contract killers. And because of that, the country just was in massive uproar that a CIA agent was there illegally. The, country, the government didn't even know because he came in as a tourist. And, you know, they just said to me when I had the interview at the embassy, we just want to make sure, you know, you're not working for a secretive U.S. Uh, governmental agency because we don't want, uh, you know, they didn't want another situation like that to happen. So uh, they were quite suspicious of why uh, I would want to go into the country. But it, it, it's not that difficult, to be honest. You, know, you have to have a letter of invitation, all of that stuff. But whoever's going to take you there can arrange that. But it's definitely worth, it's definitely worth, the, worth the effort. What are your sources of inspiration? Do you look up to some great masters of the past for, or current masters of uh, reportage? To be honest, you know, my source of inspiration is just the, the fear of being average, I think. <laughs> I just, I want to, you know, I wake up every day and I promise myself I'm not going to have, uh, you know, a normal or average life. Uh, but there's really, I would say there's not really everyone, there's not really someone that, uh, that inspires me. Um, yeah, I just—I don't know. I just get—I just get it all from within. Oh, I see. You're just a natural-born talent. <laughs> <laughs> natural-born rebel. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. I mean, uh, we will uh, we'll put with your permission some some photos from your trips. I would have uh, seen some of your Nagaland most recent ones. They are absolutely amazing, and I would love to see Thank if you, you want to share them. Some of those photos with your girlfriend on the on the bridge absolutely the prom dress that, that would be great <laughs> i'm sure so people thought we were absolutely nuts yeah we'll, we'll put them in the, in the post for people to look at i'm sure that's, great uh, they're great great um great. ralph any any other question you would like to ask before we wrap this up i don't think so this has uh, been a fantastic uh interview john thank you for your time uh, really fascinating uh you know i i go to you know, some what I think are somewhat exotic locations, but uh, I mean, it's just fascinating the places that you're going to and uh, and the, the photography that you're bringing back is phenomenal people. You have to go check out John's uh, Instagram uh, feed. It's just off the charts. Any other places Thank where you. we can find your work besides Instagram? 
That's it. You can find me on uh, on Facebook uh, at John J O H N R Milton, and that's where I put. You know, I, I don't enjoy Instagram that much to be honest, mm-hmm. and I put so much more stuff on on my uh, on my Facebook account. Okay. So Instagram is probably only seeing I don't know maybe a, a third of my stuff. Maybe I just I, I don't I don't like the platform that much. I went looking for your for you on Facebook, but there are like. Uh, 10,000 John Milton. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you will have to give us the, the, the right link. We'll put that in the show notes so people can... A, a quick, a quick comment on something that I'm, I'm looking very forward to, uh, a trip that's coming up in February. My girlfriend and I will be getting married, and we're going to be getting married uh, on top of an active volcano in Congo. And uh, I'm going to have... I've arranged for the locals to be up there, perform a ceremony for us. Uh, I'm going to have a British photographer is going to be there. Unfortunately, I can't shoot my own wedding. Too difficult. And uh, yeah, it's the largest lava lake in the world. Uh, and it's in Congo. And there is a civil war going on at the moment because elections have been postponed. So that makes it that much more exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine an, an ex-international model in a white wedding dress with military combat boots and an AK-47 on her back. And me, hopefully, in a, in a James Bond tuxedo with an AK-47 on my back with military boots as well. Combat boots. I love combat boots. Can't, can't wait so to see the photos. Those, those should be some interesting photos. Hopefully. I'm sure they will. <laughs> okay, so great. Um, yeah, me too. I would like to thank you for, uh, for your time. It's been a really amazing conversation. And, uh, thank you very much, guys. Some, some great photos. I appreciate it. And great destination. So thanks again. And... Um, All the best for your next trips. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, John.